Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. So do you have anything going on this week? Nope. Just keeping the nose to the old grindstone. <laughs> going to work. That's all. She says on her summer break, but I know uh, that you are working. I have other deadlines for other things. and Yeah. yeah. Well, um, nothing will make you feel more geriatric than having to call in <laughs> sick to work because you have a back injury. Uh, sure. And the fact that my birthday is this week. And yes. I'm ac- I actually am going to get older this week. I was like... This is the oldest I've ever felt or been. And yeah, I just didn't love that. Uh, I had a mini midlife crisis about the fact that I'm aging. <laughs> it's okay, though. It's not, you know what? We're going to bring it down today. We got a children's book. So. Oh, we're going really young. That's true. Yeah, I think the youngest we've gone. For sure. Uh-huh. It's starting to sound creepy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway... This is a chapter book for children. This is our; these are our birthday months. This is yours, and next month is mine. Yeah, so we are getting older. It's true. Yeah. Oh, and you'll be gone. I know for your birthday, so we'll have to like acknowledge it on the podcast before yes. you leave for Scotland. Yes, you're ready for my very important question. I am. If you had a crystal ball that would answer any question, what question would you ask it? Oh, I don't even know where. Where do I start? I know, right? <gasps> oh. I'm blanking. That's okay. We can think for a minute. Is it bad that, the, like, the first thing I think of is I want to ask it about, like, the correct way to do things? Or, like, <laughs> what is the best practice, you know, when teaching rhetoric to composition <laughs> students? Or, I don't know. Like, I love I that want, that's the needling question that you have to have the answer to. I just, I want objective right answers. And right. I, you know, life, as the, the older you get, there aren't often those objective right. I'm not a math right. teacher. Like, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is you'd be tempted to ask, you know, what's the meaning of it all? But there's not an objective no. right answer to that. So, like, the crystal ball can't answer that for me. So what do I, like, want to know that someone could tell me, like, September 4th? Right. But then, like, I also would want to know things like, you know, on season two of America's Next Top Model, was Katie really fake crying the whole time? Or was she, like, <laughs> legit scared of heights? Uh, you know. Things like that. That's a solid question, and I would like to know the answer to that one, too. Like, any reality show, like, I want to know, what is real here? Yeah. And what is not? I know I know a lot of it is not, but... Kyle loves to ruin that for me. He's like, this is all fake. I'm like, some of it might be real, and you don't know. Like, occasionally. I feel like it's m- more fake than real, but I want to know what the real bits are. Sure. And, like, it can be partially real and, like, then right. exaggerated or something. What percentage of this conversation... Yes. I love when you can tell in, like, talking heads that the person on the reality show was clearly asked a leading question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and two books that I've thought of assigning you but have not yet assigned you um, have the premise of a Bachelorette-style dating show. Uh, Um, And they talk about the talking head questions being like, was it annoying when Jessica said this? Yeah. uh (laughs) Can you state it back to me in the... (laughs) It was really annoying when Jessica did blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wow, it's all very yeah. forced. Like, my One of my favorites is, this is going, this is way going back. Okay. Like, cycle one of America's Next Top Model. One of the contestants is like, I don't believe it's a basic human right to, like, win a modeling contract and have a career. Like, she's real snotty about it. And you can tell the producers were like, do you feel like you deserve to win? Or who deserves to win? And she's like, look. <laughs> this the, is just a, the thing we are competing for. It's not like do or die. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, since we're just going on about age, this will age both of us. Um, I used to watch America's Next Top Model the day after it came out in clips on YouTube. 
on. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. That's the only way that I could watch America's Next Top Model when I was in college is I, was, I would watch it on YouTube the next day. That's crazy. It's 20 years old now. That's crazy. The first season came out 20 years ago. It it ended, though, right? Like, they're not still doing it? I think. I did not. I'm not a hardcore fan. Didn't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> Once the Jays left, forget it. Like, yeah. Well, I don't know that we settled on anything to ask the crystal ball, but... There's, like, the big philosophical questions and then the really mundane, frivolous ones that you just want to know. Yeah. So we'll ponder that, and perhaps as we grow older and wiser, we will settle on a good question. I think that's one of those things I'd have to keep a running notebook, because I think questions like that pop up all the time, where I'm like, oh, I wish I knew this, but then I immediately forget them Yeah, when I move on to something else. Was that just a random pick, or does it relate to our book in some way? No, um, I couldn't think of a question that related to the book. I, well, I almost asked you, what's your favorite idiom? Oh, uh... Do you have a favorite idiom? Not that I can think of. I, I've been reading a book to my sons at night. It's a chapter book. It's Comet and Moomin Land, if you're familiar <laughs> with The Moomins by Tove Jansen. Uh, but Moomin Troll keeps saying, well, strike me pink <laughs> every time he's startled. So that was the first one that popped into my head. Do you have a favorite idiom? I don't. Um, I would have thought of one had... I decided not to ask you that question, um, and instead I just Googled uh, random questions to ask people. Okay. But a lot of them are weird, because they always, it's always like to get to know the guy you're dating or something, and I'm like, listen, I'm just... (laughs) We're just doing a podcast, (laughs) y'all. Not trying to date her, I'm trying to have a conversation. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we'll get into the book. Sure. So this week I assigned Stephanie to read our first children's book. Yeah. It's a chapter book. But it's illustrated, so it's definitely children's. Um, the Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. So if you're not already familiar with this book, here is a short summary. Milo, a bored young man languishing in his apartment after school, discovers a mysterious package marked for Milo, who has plenty of time. It is a map and a mysterious toll booth that promises to take him to the lands beyond. When he drives his electric car through the toll booth, he finds himself in the Kingdom of Wisdom, ruled by King Azaz the Unabridged in Dictionopolis and the Math Magician in Digitopolis, who have been at odds ever since their sisters, the princesses Rhyme and Reason, were banished to the castle in the air for declaring that words and numbers were of equal importance. On the quest to rescue the princesses, Milo detours through the doldrums, befriends the watchdog Talk, and takes Chroma the Great's place in conducting the sunrise, among other adventures. After rescuing the princesses and returning to his apartment, Milo realizes just how much there is to learn and to do in the world around him. All right. So that is our book for this week. So I assigned you this book. We haven't done a children's book like this. I love this book, but I read it in middle school. Okay. My husband hates this book. Have you ever reread it? Yes. I reread it when I taught it to sixth graders. Oh, right, right, right. But I... So I was rereading it in the context of teaching it to middle schoolers, Mm -hmm. having been a middle schooler myself the first time I read it. And when you're reading a book to teach it, you read it a little differently. But Brandon hates it. Yes. He read it when he was a school age kid. I don't know exactly how old, um, but he hated it. And we've had this conversation about like certain books. Do you just miss the age like Mm -hmm. where you should have read it and now you can't really go back? Yeah. Even though I read it when I was young. Like, if I reread it now, I still have that nostalgia attached. Yeah, it helps you to still like it, even if it right. would not have held up otherwise. Right, so that's that was my reasoning for assigning it to you. I was like, you did not read this as a child, so I was wondering if you would feel the same way as my husband. <laughs> because it's chocked full of idioms and puns and wordplay, one after the other, uh, which I think is why Brandon can't, can't take it. so i'm gonna guess you gave it a two i would have given it zero if that were an option (laughs) let's call it one stars we do half stars i give it a half star okay this might be your lowest rating it definitely is okay i i would give it none if that were a choice i ordered pancakes and someone brought me a raw stock of broccoli (laughs) like (laughs) that just made me think of like kevin on the office (laughs) just eat it I've never done this before. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that is what it was like to okay. read this book. Someone trying to force feed me a raw <laughs> stock of broccoli wrong end. 
<laughs> All right. This is the Winesburg, Ohio of children's books. Okay. It's a short and so tedious and strange that it feels immeasurably long. <laughs> so I guess we'll just get into what I don't like. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the first thing I noticed was it felt like great value brand Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> it, it often gets compared to Alice in Wonderland. So it's, I po- see it's poor man's Alice. From. It's well, it's often called the American Alice in Wonderland. Oh uh, so. well, that checks out too. <laughs> So it's a kid who doesn't fit in with the world and mysteriously falls into a silly fantasy land where silly creatures say silly things. Yes. And at the end, they come back to the real world having learned some kind of lesson. Imagination wins the day. Hooray. Yep. So to me, I was like, um, I feel like I've had better. Sure. <laughs> I love that it's the quote unquote American version of Alice in Wonderland. Well, it's like Alice in Wonderland was, you know, bucking against the like very Victorian era strictures of society. Mm hmm. And, like, the nonsense of authoritarian monarchs, right? You got the Queen of Hearts, whereas this one is just coming up against dumb bureaucratic rules with no substance. Sure. Which is, you know... Yeah, very American. 1950s America, so... (laughs) That feels very American. (laughs) So, we first meet Milo. He's in the real world, complaining of being excessively bored. And all I could think was, like, wow, kid, you are way too young to be having an existential crisis, like... (laughs) An ennui-induced existential crisis. How old did you think he was? Because it's not mentioned in the book. Uh, seven. Oh, okay. It, in my reading, he was originally like eight or nine, but then they took out references to him because they wanted him to be, you know. Yeah. Um, I feel like he walked alone at one point, but this book was obviously written in a different time period where children just wandered about, sure. you know, like mm-hmm. I did when... <laughs> it was published was... in 1961. Okay, yeah. So kids are just wandering. Mm-hmm wandering the streets, trying not to get kidnapped. Um, So, yeah, he's having this ennui-induced existential crisis about, like, what does it all mean I'm so bored? And, like, I have those, but I pay taxes and don't get enough sleep. (laughs) What is your excuse? You're seven. Oh, I think kids get bored. I mean. To that extent. Then go fix it. You can, you have. It's good for them to be bored. That's where imagination You have the opportunity to do something else. I just have to sit there at work still. Like, I just wanted to shake him and be like, really? Is it so bad having all that free time? Why don't you go do something? Look at all your toys. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to wander the streets of, to me, it was like London, but I guess. The author grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. So. I just pictured, I don't know, like, <laughs> he was wearing breeches with suspenders and, like, <laughs> a newsboy hat. <laughs> and to me, it was like. Foggy gray London sky and this poor little gray drabbed child <laughs> like walking around. Uh, yeah, see, I also had the movie for context, which we'll talk oh, about later. I didn't even um, know there was a movie. Yes, yeah, so I did not have that picture in my. I, yeah. No Oliver Twist for me. <laughs> it was very Oliver Twist, like the London fog and the like the gray brown tweed and like a newsboy hat. So then a magical toll booth appears in his room and he picks a place on a map to go and no, we are never given any explanation as to who or what benevolent entity bestowed this magical toll booth on Milo. It simply appears and then later disappears. Yes. And that is all. Um, So when we arrive in the fantasy land, uh, we hit the ground running with the dad puns. Oh, yeah. Um, The first few pages were cute. <laughs> but it doesn't stop. We meet a character called the Watchdog, who is a dog made out of a watch who watches for people wasting time. His name is Talk, and his brother's name is Tick. Yes. We meet a humbug, who is a bug, who is humbuggery. <laughs> we meet Officer Shrift. He is yes. short and gives people very little attention because he is giving them the short shrift. He says the Watchdog can't bark without paying a barking meter. Yes. Like a parking meter. We meet a spelling bee who's a bumblebee who spells everything. And we meet a weatherman who poses possibilities based on whether or not you do this or that. And it was far too much. Yes, the the weatherman. Weather. <laughs> W-H. I, I, that is one of my biggest like vocal pet peeves is when people pronounce W-H words. <sighs> weather. White. Weather. I'm like, <laughs> it's... Start with a W. <laughs> um, 
it was just so much. I was like, I get it. You know what a pun is. The whole book felt like someone winking with their entire face going like, do you get it? I'm like, right. yes. But again, I do. written for children. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yes, I can see how it would be tedious. Stop. You eat subtraction stew and you're hungrier than when you started. It's all very clever. Yes. Stop it. <laughs> so if you can get through that... Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a children's book, so it's hard to even, like, critique this, but I felt like there was no character development at all to speak of, nor was there any real plot. So those two things took a backseat to the pun making, which in this book would mean that they're literally riding in a backseat, because that's what it means to take a backseat. (laughs) (laughs) They would have been in the backseat of Milo's little toy car. Sure, sure, sure. That's how you treat figures of speech in this book, and we mustn't leave a single one out. Yes, we have to they're include very all of literal, them. yes. So Milo, the main character, does almost nothing. He's on an he's like an incredibly passive character. Silly things just like keep happening to him. Silly people just pop up and he learns their silly names and the silly thing that they do, and then he moves to the next town and meets the next silly person. Um he spends a lot of time being confused and wandering. He doesn't mm. really do anything and again i understand it's a children's chapter book so it's like i reread the boxcar children which i used to love Mm -hmm. and i remember it being such a cool book about like setting up a home in the wilderness yes and solving mysteries and then drinking milk afterwards it's incredibly boring (laughs) um so yeah and the plot is essentially that the silly little land is so silly because the twin princesses, Rhyme and Reason, mm-hmm. have been exiled or kidnapped or... They've been exiled uh, because they would not... Their job in the kingdom was to settle disputes. And when the two kings wanted them to settle the dispute of what was better, words or numbers, they said, they're equal. And then they're like, nope, you go over there. Okay, exiled. Yep. Um, and Milo for no reason question mark is chosen to go bring them back because it's a quest story so he has to be put on a quest even though there's no real reason for him to go on this quest so he goes on the quest with his silly sidekicks the watchdog and the humbug and they encounter silly obstacles and they overcome the obstacles and then they rescue rhyme and reason and i think there's a parade there is a three-day celebration at the end of which the king, King Azaz, the unabridged. A Z A Z. Yes, that's A to Z, A to Z. Yes, unabridged, unabridged. <laughs> and the math magician. At the end of that three-day celebration, they're already starting to bicker again. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I'll come back to that later. <laughs> I don't remember writing this in my notes, but I wrote, "It was so stupid. I wanted to perish." <laughs> okay. There was a moment when this book almost broke me. (laughs) I found it. I did it. (laughs) So I was listening to the audiobook at at 1.5 speed. So, okay, I have to... Which narrator did you listen to? Not Rain Wilson. Was it David Hyde Pierce? I guess. Niles from Frasier? Oh, yeah, probably. Okay, because both of them I had in my notes as... People who have narrated the audiobook. Yeah, I have no idea, but I found the narrator's voice very obnoxious. That might be why I felt like it was set in London. <laughs> sure. It felt like a Londoner was talking to me. You should, yeah, we need to check. The David Hyde Pierce one won an award for, like, audiobooks. Gosh, so. I hated it. But there was one even before that, so I okay. don't Okay, I might have had the really old one. It had a different cover. Like, on the on Libby, it had a different cover. Like, it wasn't Milo and Talk? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so because I realized there were two audio versions, so they mm-hmm. had different narrators. Right. So I might have gotten the old, old one. Oh, it yeah. felt old. That can definitely color an experience, yeah. Anyway, so I was listening to the audiobook on 1.5 speed, and I got to the part where the math magician, the king of Digitopolis, a land that only values numbers and which is naturally at war with the sister kingdom, Dictionopolis, a land which only values words, whose king is named Azaz. Anyway, the king of Digitopolis writes a letter to the king of Dictionopolis, but of course, uh-huh. the letter is only a list of numbers. Yes, correct. In the physical copy, you could just, like, skip over this. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> I just realized where this is going. Or, like, look at the shape of the writing as a whole, and mm-hmm. I did go and look in the physical copy, and it looks like, you know, a salutation, a body paragraph, a closing greeting and a signature. 
Well, in the audiobook, they just read you those numbers. Those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the numbers are long, like they're connected, they're set up like words. So one of the number words is like 1,485,000, oh blah, blah. Like it took so long. And I, I sat there for a while and I was like, okay, I can obviously skip this. And I hit the like skip forward 15 seconds button. And it was still going. How many times did you hit the button? Thrice, Hannah! <laughs> That's hilarious. And I was like, if I hit this button one more time and we are still in this part of the book, I am going to have to call Hannah. That's like, so funny. I cannot do this anymore. You have to move on. And luckily, the fourth time was the charm and it got me past the number letter. But I was like... That was almost it for me. Yeah, because when I, I've only ever read this on paper, and I always just look at that page and then move on. Nope. And that I also would... means you missed all the illustrations. I did go through and like look because yeah, I had yeah. your copy. Right. I don't think anything could have saved it for me. And yeah, really, it was that fifteen seconds. It was that not going past another fifteen seconds that only kept me alive. Like <laughs> I would have been undone had it gone on longer. So I have to tell you, I was gonna save it for later, but when this book became a very big success and there were fans of the book writing to Jester, getting really into this book, and then as the years went on and fans from when they were young were revisiting it when they were older, they like there were many of them that convinced that there's some sort of code. Oh yeah. I saw those people. Ah! <laughs> I saw them. They're, they're, so they were trying to decode this this letter full so. of numbers, and they were writing to Jester. Guess what? There ain't no code. I love that. It's just that. numbers. Um, the Taylor Swift fan in me wanted to find it once yeah. I like once I saw it on paper. I was like, oh, okay, this looks very clearly like a letter format, and. The first word is four letters, like deer, and the second, or the, the first word is four letters, like deer, and the second word is four letters, like azaz, and it's the four same. Four digits. Four digits, and yeah. it's the same too, so it's, it looks like he used a real code. I found, like, a Reddit thread that was like, <laughs> someone used the word, that's a red herring, and I was yes. like, oh my goodness, you guys are solving a crime here. And it was a crime against me, personally, I felt. That's so funny. Yeah, as soon as people wrote him, he was like, no, guys, this is just, no. I just, like, deep, boop, 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 boop. That's been public knowledge for a while. Well, the people on the internet today that I read were like, we gotta find out what this means. It doesn't mean anything. And they were like, oh, no, there's, like, one fewer number than Math Magician at the end, so that can't be his signature. Maybe it's a different childhood nickname. Like, they have a backstory, and these two people... This is, this is fascinating. ...have a backstory where they called each other something as children, and the author encoded that other nickname. How long did you spend on this Reddit thread? <laughs> uh, Too long. Still less time than it took to read that letter. <laughs> this is great. Okay. That's really all I wrote sure. down. Um, okay. I hated this That's book. Fine. We have finally done it. Like, I can say unequivocally. <laughs> okay. And I, like I said at the top, I get that if you had not come to this book as a child, mm-hmm. the intended audience. Yeah, I was in no way the intended audience, and I recognize that. Right. I wasn't supposed to necessarily like it. Yeah, so I guess, I guess I'll start with my history of the book, sure. which I've already alluded to. I was in middle school. I don't remember exactly when I read it. And you know how, like, sometimes memories, you're like, I think this is when that happened, but I'm not sure. But I have this vague memory of sitting in one of my English teacher's classes in, like, the middle school building where I went to school and watching the 1970 movie version. 1970 yes, movie. Yes, Chuck Jones did a movie version where, like, at the very beginning, it's, like, a real-life actor. It's a real set and Milo in his bedroom, and he gets the toll booth. But as soon as he goes through it, it all goes to cartoon. Mm. And I found that movie fascinating wow i it was like i would 
I mean, I don't even know why they were showing it because I was never assigned this book to read in school. So it was probably one of those days where it was like, I don't know, we took a field trip and then they needed something to do in the afternoon. I don't know. So you didn't have to read the book. You just saw the movie. It just got put on. I think we were working on other assignments maybe and it was just kind of on in the background, but it just like sucked me in. And I, I recognize too, I have a history of really enjoying like odd 60s and 70s cartoon movies. <laughs> I grew up watching The Point, <laughs> which, listeners, if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's narrated by Ringo Starr. <laughs> what? Yes, it's about, the sidebar, it's about a land where everybody has a point on their head until little Oblio is born, and he does not have a point on his head. His head is round, and so he is banished to the pointless forest. It's oh my, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's making more sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up watching that and other, you know, old cartoons. This is why you make so many dad jokes. I, yep, it sure is. <laughs> so like just that like 60s, 70s cartoonish imagination drew me in. But also I remember the scene where Milo gets stuck in the doldrums. There is a song to that in the movie that I still oh. remember. Sing it for me. I, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember the words. Um, it's like, don't say there's nothing to do in the doldrums, something, something. You'll get stuck in the doldrums. Anyway, so I, of course, being the reader that I was, too, found this book in the library, picked it up. I loved it. I thought it was silly, but in a way that engaged me. But I also felt almost like it was being philosophical. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this is it saying something about something. imagination um, another one of the scenes I remember really liking in the movie and in the book is when Milo takes over for Chroma the conductor, mm-hmm. and he conducts um, light and color, and the con- the orchestra is bringing up the sunrise. That was one of my favorite scenes. So it was just, yeah, it just enchanted me when yeah. I was a kid. A lot of other novelists have liked this book. I found this quote from Kathleen Shine that also resonated with me. Uh, where she says, it was as if someone had turned on the lights. The concepts of irony, of double entendre, of words as play, of the pleasure and inevitability of intellectual absurdity were suddenly accessible to me. They made sense to me in an extremely personal way. So, like, it was like my first taste of, like, language is ridiculous and absurd as a child. Yeah. And so I, I also have to share this anonymous writer somebody wrote into rolling stone in 1970 okay about their love of this book <laughs> is rolling stone the right audience I, for that I, I, let me read you this quote and, and we'll see what you think I, I really wish we knew who this was it was just an anonymous writer if you want to get freaked out of your undernourished head pick up the phantom toll booth by norton jester they tell you it's a kid's book but take my word for it no one who reads it is ever the same no hype he was so high when he wrote <laughs> I was like, there's no way he was not smoking pot. I just love, if you want to get freaked out of your undernourished head, read this book. No hype. Then he was like, you know what I need to do? Dude, you know what we need to do after reading this book? We have to tell everybody. And they wrote to the Rolling Stone the magazine. Rolling Stone. Published because they knew this now, person they printed was it. tripping balls. They printed it the same year that the movie came out. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. I love that for them. I hope that they are happy. <sighs> yeah. But as I got older and as, and like I said, I taught it once when I taught sixth grade. And of course we talked, we learned a lot of vocab words. We talked about idioms, of course, because it's just low hanging fruit at that point. I Googled how many like idioms are in this book and I couldn't get an answer. I want someone to figure it out for me. I'm definitely not going to go back and figure it out myself, no. but I want an, I want a numerical value. And this is one of those books and when I talked to Brandon about it, I was never assigned it, right? To I just read it on my own and I loved it. He was assigned it from a teacher that he had and I think that teacher really hammered home all the puns and the mm. idioms and I think that made it worse for him. The book hammers itself pretty well. Yeah, and so it's one of the... I mean, I'm an English teacher. It's one of those things... I'm not going to not point out the wordplay, but there's that balance you have to strike. You know, don't kill it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like when you explain a joke. It's not funny, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to kill the reading experience. So it's like, I don't know. Like, do I want my kids to just happen upon this book or... Yeah. Well, some of the reviews I was... I was obviously looking through one-star reviews, sure. um, which we'll have a very good time with in a minute. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> they were like, 
my kids were too young to understand any of it. So they didn't think any of it was funny because they didn't get it. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And so I think some people are trying to give it to like elementary school right. kids and that's too young because they don't get all that wordplay. Like middle school must be the exact the sweet spot. right spot. You It all goes over your head or... Although I will say there were some people at Random House that did not want to publish it because they thought the vocabulary was too difficult. Mm. And Juster has said in interviews that he felt like a lot of the books of his time really talked down to children and he did not want to do that. Yeah. Which I, I respect. There's a part of the book that's basically a thesaurus. Uh, yes. I forget what they are. The Earl of... There's so many characters. The entity <laughs> I can't remember. And the, yeah, Count of whatever. But when someone says something, they just list as many... Synonyms. Synonyms for yeah. that as you can. And oh, so yeah. if you don't know one of those words, now you do, because the definition's already been given to you. But yeah, they just go round and round in a circle listing synonyms. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I really love about the book, other than just I had fun with it, was the themes that I can now recognize as I'm older. But also, I think I had an inkling of as a kid. And that's why it felt like, you know, it turned on a light for me. Like, oh, yeah. we can talk about these things. Of course, it has a theme of learning and fostering a love of learning rather than just like rote memorization and the kinds of things that schools do poorly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it mocks traditional education a little bit. Like, <laughs> Milo doesn't see the point of school. He yeah. is bored. The humbug says to the spelling bee, who, as you alluded to, is just spelling words, he says, a slavish concern for the composition of words is the sign of a bankrupt intellect. <laughs> that's a line from a kid's book, but it's also like, yeah, just memorizing words, that's not being smart. <laughs> okay? You're not smart just because you know long words. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Adam Gopnik in The New Yorker, he wrote a piece on it in 2011 for its 50th anniversary. <clears throat> he said, the point of the Phantom Tollbooth is not that there's more to life than school. It's that normal school subjects can be wonderful if you don't have to experience them as normal schooling. Right. <laughs> like, if you just get to discover your learning, which is what happens to Milo. He gets to go on this like journey of discovery with his learning and he is a very passive protagonist there have been lots of pieces written comparing <laughs> this to Alice in Wonderland and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix that was one article I saw but out of all the like children's stories protagonists that go on journeys like this he is one of the most passive mm -hmm. um, but I do think he does learn along the way right to love learning um, and he also has to confront his own shortcomings with learning. He's not good with math. He's not good at numbers. And so that's one of the other themes I like about this book that I brought up to my students is learning is also about making mistakes. He has he struggles with math and towards the end of the book, Princess Reason says to Milo, you must never feel badly about making mistakes as long as you take the trouble to learn from them. For you often learn more by being wrong for the right reasons than you do by being right for the wrong reasons. That was, that was always true. a quote we talked about in my class. And so just like that he learns that part of the journey of learning is making mistakes and that that's okay. Sure. Um, also, the need for common sense. <laughs> uh, I alluded to this earlier, but there's just all these rules with no meaning behind them. And because rhyme and reason are gone. Exactly. And he and that's part of the point that this is so ridiculous. The weatherman, Officer Shrift, who you already mentioned, the dodecahedron from the Digitopolis, right, says to Milo, as long as the answer is right, who cares if the question is wrong? <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's that's not the point. <laughs> so I like that theme. And then just appreciating the journey over the destination. You see this with the cities of reality and illusion mm -hmm. that have disappeared. Of course, illusion never existed, right? <laughs> but um, the city of reality has disappeared because the people were always just so concerned with getting to where they were going that the whole city disappeared because they didn't notice anything around them. So they're all just like walking in these lines and never looking up and trying to get where they're going. It did seem to be speaking to adults like, hey, slow down, use your imagination, mm -hmm. remember the fun of learning. And I was just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> sure, because you already know this, right? Right. I was like, I have learned that lesson. Maybe I go to therapy already. You, you didn't need that theme to come up. Uh, and then the fact that Towards the end, when Milo is leaving, the two kings are, well, the king and the magician, whatever, they're arguing again. Yeah. Like, you know they're going to have another falling out. And Juster has said that he wanted to write it in that way and to get Milo out of there quickly. 
to show that, quote, the fight would have to be won again and again. Mm. That learning is not a means to an end, but it's a lifelong journey. Just because Milo doesn't return to the lands beyond because the next day the toll booth is gone, um, it doesn't mean he's journey- his journey's over. Like, he's just learned to transfer what he learned there to his real life world. Right. So I, I like those themes. I think they're fun. I think it does have something to say to adults. But it this you're going to like this book more if you read it as a kid. Right. <laughs> when you were the intended audience. And I... With the themes that can speak to adults and the silliness, middle school really must be the sweet spot because you're old enough to go, ah, the wisdom of taking a breath. And, you know, none of that would read to a seven-year-old or something. And, like, to an adult, you're like, okay, thank you. I got it. Yes. (laughs) Um, But it is. So, yeah, it, it... is it seems like one of those where you either uh, get it or you don't, right? And I miss, or it. you're already over it when mm-hmm. you encounter it. So then I think it's funny. So two of the things that are not in the book, I was reading um, the New Yorker piece that I mentioned by Adam Gopnik. It talk, it has a conversation between Norton Juster, the author, and Jules Pfeiffer, the illustrator. Their relationship is so funny. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that too. Uh, but they mentioned two things that are not in the book. One, there is no illustration of Milo going through a toll booth, which oh. is probably the thing that dates this book most. Because out of all the things in the book, the one thing kids today are probably going to ask is, "What's a toll booth?" What's a toll booth? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of funny. And he has to put money into the toll booth yeah. to go through, which is kind of like this metaphor for the college tuition you might pay, the liberal arts education, and we don't know how much money he put in. <laughs> Would probably be different today. Um, so do you want to know a little bit about the history of the book and the sure. author? Sure. So it is, we're talking about it, it's a children's fantasy adventure book, an illustrated chapter book. So the illustrator, Jules Pfeiffer, he, is, he was integral, not just because he illustrated this book. He was integral in helping it get published. He uh, lived in the same building as Norton Juster when Norton was writing the book. And he would pace at night thinking about it. And... Pfeiffer lived under him, and he's like, what's he doing? Uh, <laughs> so he went upstairs, and he's like, hey, man, what's up? I doubt it went like that. He was probably like, you have been pacing for every they, night this week. They lived in Brooklyn. They were, like, housemates, so, like, they lived in the bed. It was a house. Oh, it wasn't yeah. an apartment. So That's he, funny. You're being very annoying. <laughs> Tell me what you're up to. <laughs> so Jester shows him the manuscript. He reads it, and he starts drawing for it. He was intrigued. He starts making these drawings, and... It, there's another connection to Alice in Wonderland, but those line drawings that are very reminiscent of John Tenniel's drawings mm-hmm. for Alice in Wonderland. And he gave the book to a woman he knew who actually ended up becoming his wife later, who worked at Random House. Oh. She passed it on to Jason Epstein, who really championed it. Uh, he was a big believer in, like, children's literature. And he bought the book on the strength of seven chapters and a three-page outline. That is not how that works anymore. <laughs> no, it is not. But that's fun to meet someone from Random House and just be like, hey, yeah. you want to go on a date and publish this book? So, but they they had this funny relationship. Jester apparently did all the cooking in their house. So they had this running joke that if Pfeiffer wanted to eat, he had to keep drawing for the book. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jester was doing the cooking. And then they had this, like, not a real feud, but... Fiverr kept wanting to draw it the way he wanted to, and Juster is, of course, the author, so then he would try to write things that were impossible to illustrate. <laughs> like when he talked about three men, one, you know, short and fat, and the other tall and skinny, and the third... Who looks just like both of them. Yes. <laughs> it's like, how do you illustrate that? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it was the skinniest fat man, and the fattest skinny man, and the tallest short man, and the shortest tall man. Yeah. Basically, this person is... Exactly average. Or speaking of averages, when Milo meets the 0.58s of a kid. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> the average family is 2.58 children, right? And he grows down to the ground instead of yes, up. Yes, yes. So they had this, like, ongoing feud or he's like, I want to draw it the way I want. And Jester's like, well, I'm going to write you this and you got to figure <laughs> out how to draw it. And um, oh my goodness. Pfeiffer apparently got back at him by drawing the weatherman as Norton Jester in a toga. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, so he got it published in 1961. It was not expected to sell well. <laughs> it came out the same year uh, that the Bronze Bow came out. Bow, I've never heard of this book. I probably should have. But also James and the Giant Peach, oh. which I have heard of. Right. So it was not expected to do well. It did. 
Yeah. And it has now sold over 5 million copies. This is mostly due to some really good reviews at the time. Uh, the New Yorker at the time said, As Pilgrim's Progress is concerned with the awakening of the sluggardly spirit, the Phantom Tollbooth is concerned with the awakening of the lazy mind. Mm. So that's the kind of we review... We compared it to Pilgrim's Progress. Yes. Uh, the New York Times review said, Norton Juster's amazing fantasy has something wonderful for anyone old enough to relish the allegorical wisdom of Alice in Wonderland and the pointed whimsy of The Wizard of Oz. So, okay. two things has gotten compared I am to. lacking in whimsy, I suppose. <laughs> I like this one, too. The New York Herald Tribune said, In a world which sometimes seems to have gone mad, it is refreshing to pause and consider for a moment a book for children which contains a character called Faintly Macabre, the not-so-wicked witch. I actually... That was the one that I liked. That was actually really good. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, The name of the book is The Phantom Tollbooth, and it was written by a bearded elf named Norton Juster and illustrated by Jules Pfeiffer, who is the cleverest of the young neurotics. (laughs) I hope to one day be called that. (laughs) Yeah. So it got published the following year in the UK and then in 1963 in Australia. It's been adapted into a film, a play, and an opera. Oh. Yes, I've read the play. It's not not good. (laughs) The annotated edition came out in 2011 for its 50th anniversary. I really want that. I've got the annotated Alice. I'm like, oh, I need the annotated yeah. Phantom Tollbooth. Uh, or we already mentioned the audiobooks, multiple audiobooks that came out. Now I am curious which one I listened to. Yeah. I would like to listen to the David Hyde Pierce one. As much as I love Rain Wilson. Yeah. I also love Niles Crane. Sure. <laughs> um, Norton Juster himself... He was born in 1929 and died in 2021. So he was 91. Oh, wow. Jewish-American from Brooklyn, lived in Brooklyn most of his life. He was an architect. His father was an architect. His brother was an architect. So architects. Yes. Um, This was his first novel. He wrote more after it, but this was his obviously most successful one. He had originally received a grant from the Ford Foundation for $5,000 to write a children's book about cities. Mm Mm-hmm. And basically, this book was the product of procrastination. (laughs) Because he was like, this book ain't going anywhere. I think I'm going to write about a kid named Milo. And that's when Pfeiffer would hear him pacing. And one of the big influences on this book... By the way, he'd never read Alice in Wonderland. Really? So that was not an influence. When was Alice in Wonderland published? Much before this. Much before, okay. I don't know the exact year, but it's Victorian. Okay. So. A long time before. Yes. He had not read it, uh, but he was influenced. His father, Samuel Juster, loved puns. They watched a lot of Marx Brothers movies in his household. He must have loved puns. Yes. Making puns very literal. Uh, he was very literal, but he was also very influenced by the fact that he has synesthesia. Oh. He associates numbers with colors. Okay. And he deals with numbers a lot. He's an architect. Yeah. So that was part of the influence for this book as well. A bit of synesthesia never went amiss. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) As Snowman might say. Exactly. We got all kinds of parallels. (laughs) He was influenced by Wind in the Willows. Okay. Have you read that? Mm -mm. I haven't either. Uh, It was one of those early books that had maps on the end papers, Mm. which this original book, the original copies of this book did as well. He really insisted on that. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I haven't read it. He also just took influences from his own life. Like, he had a professor in college who referred to numbers as gems that you needed to mine. Okay. So that's where that... Someone likes numbers too much, but that's fine. (laughs) That's where that comes from in the book. (laughs) The weatherman has a saying where he says, expect anything and the unexpected never happens. He took that from Jules Pfeiffer's mom. <laughs> Who would say, or grandma, I can't remember. No, it's his mother. Um, I can just imagine her coming by with fudge and being like, are you boys working on your book? How's it going? Well, expect everything. Yeah. <laughs> the unexpected never happens. There you go. All right. Bye, Sharon. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Funnily enough, the film, which I loved and brought me to the book, he hated. <laughs> he called it drivel. <laughs> so... And I'll leave you with um, this quote from Juster when he was interviewed for the 50th anniversary edition in 2011. He said, when I grew up, I still felt like that puzzled kid, disconnected, disinterested, and confused. There was no rhyme or reason in his life. (laughs) My thoughts focused on him, and I began writing about his childhood, which was really mine. Today's world of texting and tweeting is quite a different place, but children are still the same as they've always been. They still get bored and confused and still struggle to figure out the important questions of life. 
Well, one thing has changed. As many states eliminate tolls on highways, some children may never encounter a real toll booth. <laughs> Luckily, there are other routes to the lands beyond, and it is possible to seek them and fun to try. Mm -hmm. But I do think kids still get bored and, and yeah, have that sense sure. of ennui. And if you hit it at the right time... I understand that this book can be charming to the exact right audience. Yeah. It was not charming to me. That's totally fine. So this is the one that I read. So they have both of these on Libby as audiobooks, and this is the one that was available at I the time. I have never seen that cover and I, illustration. And I want to... Click on it. Oh, yours is the old one. The narrator is Norman Dietz. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds old, old. Yeah. You didn't even get David Hyde Pierce. Mm. Can we play a sample? Go ahead. Recorded Books Incorporated presents an unabridged recording of The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. Isn't that the oldest man's, oldest man's voice? And it sounds so familiar. Like, just so annoying. It sounds like <laughs> if you asked AI to generate, like, old British men. Yeah. I don't even know that he's British, but yeah. It, it has, just felt... It feels tweedy. To, right. Mm -hmm. I, everyone was dressed in tweed. Oh. So that's that's how I listen to it. I do not think that a different medium would have helped this book. No. Um. Uh, other times I felt like, oh, well, maybe if... There's simply nothing that could have saved this for me. That's fine. That's fine. Would you do you do you want Maggie to read it when she's in middle school? Sure. I Would mean you give it to her. I understand that for the right audience, it's charming. <laughs> when she's the right audience, she can read it if she wants to. This is not a, a book to recommend to adults. <laughs> Unless they have an overabundance of whimsy and I must have just the regular amount. <laughs> Or, or maybe a little bit of a deficit. I'm not sure. Or if they just really like puns and idioms. I mean, Kyle does love a pun, but he would not be able to stomach this book. <laughs> maybe it'd be a good one to like read excerpts from. Yeah. Just, just be like, hey, listen on. to this. Hey, listen to this. Yeah. Oh, sure. My goodness. Well, do you want to read some one star reviews? I sure do. I fully expect these to be these were, great. These were good. Yes. I have several for you. Okay. Peter writes... If I had to choose between reading this entire book or eating it, I'd ask whether I can prepare the pages in a way of my choosing. <laughs> I think you could fold a book into some pulled pork and probably be okay. Maybe chili? <laughs> and even if it was just straight up eating, I think I'd get through it faster with my mouth than my eyes. <laughs> this is hysterical. This is painful to read. Like, really painful. Everything in it is so clever that it's a little gross. <laughs> It's so cute. Like, wouldn't it be funny if a watchdog was a dog with a watch embedded in it? And not in a Cronenberg way, in, like, a cute way. And then everything in the book works that way. It's like Milo traveled to the land of dad jokes, and instead of being a struggle for survival, it's just a wacky experience. <laughs> in a real road trip through the land of dad jokes, you'd spend all your time trying to get that little go-kart up to speed so you could throw yourself out and die bludgeoned by literal bumps in the road, or maybe you could find a fork in the road and stab your eyes out. <laughs> this might be an adult critiquing a book for which he's not the audience, but I don't know. I think this book is one of those books that adults like way more than kids, like Fantasia or something. <laughs> like the movie? I guess. Did you watch Fantasia? I did, and oh. it, I didn't like it as a kid. Oh, we loved it. We would spread out a blanket and pretend it was our raft, and of we would dance on it. Of course you liked Fantasia. <laughs> we had a whole narrative attached to it. Oh, no. Anyway, skip this one unless you have special goggles for safety. I need to see my eye doctor because my eyes were rolling so hard. <laughs> That was a good review. I really liked it was so cute it was almost gross because that's how I felt. I was like, stop yeah. being so adorable. I hate it. But for middle school me, I felt very like enlightened uh -huh. by it. Yeah. yeah, it felt so cute it was gross. <laughs> this next one is from a reviewer called The Grim Reaper. I hope it's death himself. Yeah. Uh, three word review. It just says, never read this. <laughs> I like the, the short and quippy ones. This reviewer is known as Hamster. Mm -hmm. This started out cute, but after the 61st figure of speech, I couldn't take it anymore. It's as if a fourth grade teacher went on an acid trip and started spouting nonsense. I'm sure if I'd read this book when I was eight, I would have loved it. Now I'm 28 and I couldn't stand the tedium. If I ever hear another pun or play on words, I think I'll vomit all over myself. <laughs> Cassie says, I was forced to read this book in sixth grade. It is more appropriate for a kindergartner. Oh. 
It was an insult to my literacy skills. <laughs> she must have been advanced. <laughs> and finally, Amanda. There once was a man. This man wanted to teach children a lesson. Not just any lesson, but a lesson on the importance of not using too many words to say absolutely nothing. This lesson he taught by doing exactly the thing he warned against doing. He accomplished his task by writing a small book, a book that took approximately five-plus hours to read, a book written completely of synonyms, antonyms, contradictions, puns, and allegories. He named this book the Phantom Tollbooth, and in it he placed all of his enlightenment on the subject of words and the meaning of words and the importance of using the correct words for just the right meanings. He then added a lesson on the importance of not wasting time. He taught this lesson by wasting your time while reading his book. I feel he accomplished his goals, and I learned the lessons the hard way. By reading this book. The end. <laughs> that was lovely. That is how that felt to me. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, <laughs> and I think as a teacher, it's, again, it's a fine line. It, it was not a book we spent tons of time on. Sure. It was like, a, sure. I need a week and a half to fill. Mm-hmm. What are we going to mm-hmm. do? And we played That's games fair. with it. It was fun. Or at least I had fun. Some of them, I'm sure, I probably scarred for life. I just take it for granted that happens with each book I teach. I would love to hear from some of them just being like, oh my goodness, you won't believe what Ms. Graves made us uh, read. Yes. I distinctly remember one boy, He his name was Caleb. He would just constantly read all the Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. like on repeat. He would just go through to seven and then go back to one. And he didn't want to read any other book besides Harry Potter. That's a little much. And whenever I made him read another book, he, he had a hard time with it. <laughs> I wonder where he is now and if he's read more books. He's graduated from high school now, so... Wow. Yeah. I hope you're doing well, kid, and that you've found better books out there, because there are some. Also, his mom made excellent brownies. (laughs) (laughs) We always got them at Christmas. It was great. I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Anyway. Well, do we have anything else to say except talking about next week's book? No, I think you... Yeah, tell me what I'm reading. Okay, so next week I've assigned Hannah A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. Haven't started it yet. The cover looks nice. You have you have my copy already, right? No, I've got it on Lemmy. Oh, okay. I do have a physical copy of it. Okay, good to know. But yeah. <laughs> You're privy to this little <laughs> production business here. Listen. Decided to go back and forth. Yeah, the cover is really cool. It's a really fast, snappy read, I think. So we'll, we'll see how you feel see about it. See how it goes. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. (laughs) You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Hey, slow down. Use your imagination. Mm -hmm. 